The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And welcome to another edition of Winning Ponies. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if for any reason uh, you want to pass this along to some of your friends, let them know that uh, these shows are on podcast. And uh, quite frankly, a lot of people do go back and either re-listen to the shows for the selections of the handicappers or to pass along information on some of the guests we've had. And we've had some good ones. And that's going to continue this evening. Uh, something happening at Belmont Stakes today that uh, was a close call for I'll Have Another, and our first guest uh, was there to capture it. Uh, her name, of course, is Barbara D. Livingston, and if you've ever picked up a daily racing form, then uh, you have an entire album of her collection of photos. I don't know how she does it. She had to just have maybe one hour's sleep a day between shooting the morning workouts editing her photos, getting them off to the daily racing form, and then getting ready for the races that afternoon, shooting, repeating, and sending. Uh, she's got to be a very busy woman. Of course, she's the author of five books, and it really is one of the most outstanding equine photographers of our time. She's got some interesting stories. And then uh, to back her up, uh, we're going to have uh, Tom Law, who promises to be here with us this evening. He just got back from soccer practice, I heard. Uh, he's an Eclipse Award winner, a pretty good handicapper, and for six years he was the president of the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters. So another good lineup for you on winningponies.com. So what next for I'll Have Another? Uh, it just seemed one thing after another. Uh, his exercise rider was not allowed to uh, to come to New York because he had some paperwork that wasn't filled out. Everything is just fine. Uh, he is back in New York now, so uh, I'll have another has his regular exercise rider. Uh, what he won't have come Belmont Day is his nasal strip that he normally races in. And this one's got me scratching my head. Uh, the, the stewards at New York Racing Association racetracks, including Belmont, of course, uh, have decided not to allow nasal strips. And it's not even a New York State wagering board rule or even a Belmont Park House rule. It's a decision made by the stewards. Uh, it's too lengthy to go into it, and I'm still scratching my head as far as uh, why they would do this. A lot of people say that uh, actually the nasal strips were developed to, to help horses uh, from bleeding. Uh, so if anything, it would be something that would uh, you know help the health of a horse and certainly uh, not improve its performance. But for some reason, the stews in New York are not going to let I'll have another one race in that piece of equipment that he uses. And then today, the close call that Barbara Livingston shot was a loose horse out on the track at Belmont 
came right up on the inside of I'll Have Another, and they just avoided collision. As a matter of fact, uh, the exercise rider Johnny Garcia actually had his boot uh, brushed by the horse uh, who went by. It was uh, a three-year-old maiden filly. Uh, well, all I can say is that Doug O'Neill was a little upset by it. There's some videos up on the Internet you can see. And uh, he went to uh, P.J. Campo, the vice president and director of racing for Naira, uh, and asked him, could you do what they do for the Kentucky Derby, where after the morning renovation break, they reserve that time for the more experienced horses uh, that are in the Oaks and the Derby. So they don't have a chance of running into a loose two-year-old or an inexperienced horse, and plus there's less traffic out there. So as it turns out, by day's end, uh, it has been worked out, and now uh, if you're a New Yorker and you want to go over and see a slew of Belmont horses, uh, get there, I believe, at 8.15. Uh, that's when they let them back on for the renovation break, and there's going to be a 15-minute window there just for horses in the Belmont. Of course, horses in the Belmont are not restricted to that uh period, but if they want to go out and have a little bit of privacy, that's when they can do it. Kind of interesting, Billy Turner, who uh, got Seattle Slough through the Triple Crown as uh, based at Belmont, and uh, Doug O'Neill had a chance to to talk with them, and he sounded uh, truly impressed, and he he said that the one thing that Billy said was uh, that having the horse there at Belmont earlier was a big edge, and that that was huge, and uh, also they talked about the fact that the jockeys need to figure out the oval because of the configuration, and uh, so... uh, Super Mario is going to get there earlier. And uh, Doug O'Neill said he even, even asked uh, Turner about breezing uh, because he wasn't planning on breezing. I'll have another. And he uh, said that he only breezed Seattle Slough twice between the Preakness and the Belmont because he needed to take the edge off him because he was such a high-energy horse. And, of course, I'll have another is just the other way. O'Neill says, well, he's a pretty mellow horse, uh, but he really appreciated the conversation uh, with, with Billy Turner, and uh, he's really soaking in the experience there in New York, uh, taking in uh, one of the uh, Stanley Cup hockey games uh, last night. Uh, speaking of uh, Mario Gutierrez and uh, getting a chance to uh, acclimate to Belmont, he uh, took the week off and went back up to Canada, met some friends. He's going to come back down, I believe going to start racing, picking up mounts at Belmont on Wednesday. And he's going to have a little help from a friend, and that's the MIG, uh, Richard Migliori, uh, who recorded 1,352 wins at Belmont Park during his career, is actually going to tour the course with Super Mario. Uh, it'll probably be June uh, uh, 6th or 7th. And he's going to be up on one of my favorite horses, uh, Lava Man, who's the stable pony. Uh, Gutierrez is, will be on another horse, uh, but he won't be on I'll Have Another. Kind of interesting that the, the MIG is going to kind of take him through the motions. Uh, we're really gearing up to a very interesting Belmont Stakes. Uh, Doolahan is in town right now, so uh, he's getting acclimated. Uh, just came in uh, from Kentucky. and. Uh, trainer Dale Roman says, look, you know, we've got to take a shot at this horse. If he's really going to win the Triple Crown, he's got to do it the right way, and uh, he's got to face the, the toughest horses. Uh, people that are in the corner of I'll Have Another include uh, Patrice Wolf- Wolfson 
and uh, none other than Steve Cawthon, uh, the last uh, jockey to win a Triple Crown. They're saying, hey, the time might be right, and the way this horse is running, he's got a lot of heart. Uh, he reminds us of Affirmed, actually, uh, the way he just guts it out and is not afraid to, to run upside uh, an, another horse. In, uh, in breaking uh, Belmont news, Alpha is out, so there'll be one less in the field. Um, now that uh, he was only one of the four graded stakes winners among the dozen uh, that was going to be pointed to the Belmont Stakes, uh, he uh, spiked a fever the other day of 103. He's down to 100.4, but because of the fever uh, and being treated with antibiotics, uh, he missed training Wednesday and Thursday, and uh, he hasn't even uh, been to the track since uh, breezing uh, last Sunday morning and McLaughlin, who takes good care of his horses, just said, you know, it's just not the thing to do uh, to ask him to go a mile and a half if he's not 110%. As you recall, uh, he was just beaten by a uh, gemologist uh, in, in the Wood Memorial. And uh, last year he was second to Union Rags in the Champagne. Uh, this also leaves Ramon Dominguez uh, without a mount. So uh, that should be very interesting, the, the Belmont without uh, one of the country's leading riders in there. Um, well, let's see. What are they saying about another Winnings Ponies guest? Uh, they made the news a couple times this week, and one of them is Kendall Hansen, uh, who rescued a Danzig mare, a seven-year-old Danzig mare, and has intentions of breeding her to Hansen. Uh, he got her from a rescue program in, in Ohio. First of all, it's just mind-boggling to me that a Danzig mare would ever even end up uh, in having to be rescued, uh, but she was. As a matter of fact, she had a, a foal by her side. Uh, he's already uh, bred her back to Proud Citizen because he figures Hanson won't be retired, hopefully, for a couple of years. And then at that, he's saying that uh, while several farms have shown interest in standing Hanson, like Adri Stud, Spencer Farm, Coolmore, Lane's End, and the Ramsey Farm, uh, he has one interesting stipulation that whoever the facility is that winds up with his champion runner, he's going to allow him to run him and breed him at the same time. Uh, wouldn't be the first time this has ever happened. Uh, you know, Bertrano did it in recent times, but then you can go back to, uh, to Seabiscuit, uh, Horse of the Year in 38, Carrie Back, who won the 61 Derby, uh, Candy Spots, who won the 63 Santa Anita Derby. Uh, he got 28 mares in full and then came back in one stake. So, uh, it can be done. And, uh, Hanson, as you know, bypassed the uh, Preakness, and he's going to go in, in the Wood, Woody Stevens. Uh, he is at the Trackside Training Center uh, in Kentucky. Uh, his recent work went very well, and they're looking like uh, they're going to ship for the Woody Stevens. From what I understand, he's going to have some company, though. Uh, they're talking about Trinenberg and uh, Drill showing up for that race. Uh, well, we had some great races. It was uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we're going to breeze through a couple of them uh, as quick as we can. Uh, Aruna took the uh, Sheepshead Bay. Of course, uh, Graham Motion said that he, he was just throwing out her uh, race in the Jenny Wiley at Keeneland, and I guess it was right. It was a strange race, though, because uh, Mystical Star broke through the gate just prior to the gate's opening and ended up being disqualified. And one of the assistant starters uh, who uh, who had uh, Magical Cat, not Magical Star, held the horse thinking that, you know, they were going to 
catch that horse, come back and restart. Uh, so as, as it turned out, the Magical Cat was declared a non-starter. Uh, Aruna, though, uh, was a, a very impressive winner. Uh, back in the winner's circle, again, that was the she said Bay. Uh, moving along to some of the other uh, big races on the weekend. These were the earlier races. It was upset time on Saturday in the American Handicap. Uh, with Wilkinson getting the job done. Of course, in that race, it was Mr. Commons, who was the three to five pick in there, but, uh, Wilkinson, uh, pretty much, uh, chased down, uh, the, the, the early pace and just went on at 44 to one in the American handicap. So it was upset time. Mr. Commons did put in a big rally, uh, but came up short and ended up running third. Um, in, in Chicago, it was Upper Line who took the Arlington Matron. Uh, our, our upper Line was favored to win that race last year. Did not disappoint this year. Uh, ran down uh, who, why in the, in the stretch, and she's now improved her career record to 8, 4, and 2 in 20 starts for earnings of 500 85,000 plus. Uh, another race on Saturday going a mile and a half in Louisville. It was the Canadian based Samard who took the lead at the head of the stretch and brought home that grade two race on the turf. And it was a good time. The time of 227.16 for the mile and a half was a stakes record, eclipsing drill for oils mark. Uh, back in 2007. Well, uh, in my opinion, what had to be the race of the weekend happened on Memorial Day, and that was Shackleford. It was just an unbelievable running of what's always been somewhat of a uh, historic race, and that would be the Metropolitan Handicap. Uh, Shackleford led from flag fall to that's all, but that's all was awfully, awfully close as Caleb's posse came flying at the end. Uh, it was a photo finish. It was, uh, it was, it was hard to believe that, uh, that Caleb's posse just didn't get up. It, it really looked like in the last jump he got it. But, uh, you know, hats off to the connections of Shackelford, uh, Dale Romans, uh, for owner Mike Lawfer and Bill Culbrudge and, and Phipps Racing. Uh, that was his uh, second consecutive stakes win this year. Uh, but that stakes win this year uh, back in Louisville, that was his first after winning the Preakness Stakes last year. But he's really turned out to be a crack horse. Of course, this race uh, at a flat mile. So uh, Shackelford uh, is going to uh, be one to watch this year. Of course, uh, Jesus Castanon hurt his hand uh, about a week ago in Louisville, and Johnny V was up for the win in that. But definitely, in my opinion, that was the race of the weekend. A uh, couple of uh, other races in New York. It was uh, an easy acorn uh, victory uh, for Contested. Uh, contested uh, uh, upset uh, the field in there and just looked so impressive. Uh, there's four victories have now come by a combined 22 lengths. And she's now won $324,000. Let's see. We're going to see a handicap against a couple horses uh, that ran against It's Tricky. It's Tricky won the uh, Ogden Phipps uh, wore down pace setter Cash for Clunkers, a lightly raced horse, and got up. Uh, Eddie Castro had won the race before the Sands Point. But... uh, he ran it down and eventually pulled away by about a length. Uh, it's tricky. Is now won or finished second in 11 of 12 starts. 
and paid uh, six twenty three eighty and two ten cash for clunkers was second. Awesome Maria upset time. Awesome Maria, who's been awesome in her career, uh, I believe was coming off six wins, uh, ended up running. Third. Horses to watch on the West Coast. Belle Royal won the Gainley with a big closing rush. Uh, she started out uh, in Europe and she'll be uh, awful tough this season. And then Roman Threat uh, took the LA the LA handicap. And uh, another guest that we had on Winning Ponies just several weeks ago, Austin Kep Smith. We talked about Nate's mine shaft, and uh, he tried something different with Nate in his last start down in Louisville, ended up getting beat by 20 lengths. He said, no more trying to rate my horse. I'm putting him on the lead. He put him on the lead in the Lone Star cap, and he just won ease by seven and a quarter lengths. So congratulations to trainer Austin Kep Smith and the connections of Nate's mine shaft. All right, well, that's putting 10 pounds in a 5-pound bag, a lot of great racing over Memorial Day weekend. And a lot of that racing that I just mentioned was captured by award-winning photographer Barbara Livingston. We're going to take a quick break here on Winning Ponies, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the life and times of a fantastic equine photographer. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. This Is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. Okay, well, listen, I'm going to advise everybody that when Winning Ponies is over, you, you go up there and you start Googling Barbara D. Livingston so you can see some of what I'm talking about uh, today. Now, of course, anybody that's ever held a, a racing form in their hand uh, has a collection of her work. Uh, you know, she started out when she was 10 years old, uh, kind of back in my stomping grounds, up around Albany and, and Saratoga. Uh, she photographed uh, Secretariat and, and Ruffian, and uh, just one of those young girls that, that, that gets the horse hook in her. Well, luckily, she t- turned out to be a great photographer. I believe uh, uh, she went to college in my hometown in Syracuse, New York. Uh, she's now the author of uh, five books 
uh, published by the Eclipse Press in Lexington, Kentucky. And um, two of them are kind of the same, and I love them. They're the old friends. I mean, and she's her unique way of looking at the sport and trying to capture different things. Uh, her her book on, on Saratoga, I thought it was just going to be a book on racing, and no, it captured the whole essence of the town in addition to the track. And then she totally uh, blew me out of the water back in 2009 when she came out with Horses in Living Color and just found every rare farm in the world with horses that you've never seen before and, of course, in her own way uh, captured uh, those images. Uh, but uh, so I, I, I'm not going to spend 15 minutes reading a resume. I want to spend 15 minutes talking to her. Barbara Livingston, how you doing? John, it's a pleasure to hear from you, and I'm doing wonderfully. Uh, what, what some people won't know, and I didn't know until I was cleaning out a closet years ago, is that you and I used to actually kind of be pen pals <laughs> through a, a club called the Sport of Kings Society. Greatest society ever. I was member number 254. Do you remember your number? I'll have to look it up. I'm not <laughs> sure, but I know I've got a list. I don't throw many things out. Yeah, that was a great group of people that collected programs, photos, old totes. I loved that club, and you actually waited for the mail to get the stuff. It's so Really, you know, it was, it was kind of the first eBay. Exactly. It was so wonderful. What a group of good people. And it was neat because... Really, nobody was on there to make any money. Uh, basically, I would say I would put out there, I'm going to the Traverse Stakes, uh, and I'm, you know, and people would send you mail and say, pick me up a program. So I'd buy ten Traverse programs. <laughs> Somebody'd go to the Santa Anita Derby, they'd buy ten programs, and you would just swap and mail them out to each other. It was fantastic. Wasn't it the best? I have a great collection. You know, you got the Louisiana Derby and all these things you would never ever have. And you're right, nobody ever charged for it. We were all just buddies. It was it was just such a good group. Well. Um, what I've, I've got to know, Barbara, is this, and I'm sure other people wonder the same thing. When do you sleep? <laughs> you know, actually, after this phone call, I'll probably go to, no, I have to edit some more tonight. But when the, when the horses are going fast and furious, I try to get to bed around 11 so I can get up at 5 because those darn tracks open so early. Well, you've caught some of your most beautiful images of that early. Uh, the cover of your book on Saratoga, I know some photography is right time, right place, and you were right there when that horse went up in the sunrise. Yeah, it was actually funny. They, you know, the horse rearing with the sunball behind him right there with the spires of the, the roof line in the background. And the boy said to me, oh, that's no big deal. It happens every day. So I stood out there for you know, the next 10 days, and, of course, the horse never did it again. <laughs> but, that, but that was really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, it, you know, it, it, it is luck, and of course it seems like everybody has a camera now, uh, but there's a lot that goes into equine photography, and there's a lot of hard work, like you just said, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I think what, what's, what's probably great with an experienced photographer like you is you've got a good feel for when there's going to be fog and where to be, should I be on the Oklahoma track, should I be on the main track, uh, how do you think that through, or do you just get lucky? Well, you definitely have luck involved. But last night, for instance, was my first night down at, at Belmont Park for the Belmont Stakes with that particular goal. So last night I go on the Internet and I start Googling to make sure, or I went to DRF.com, of course, to find the different horses that are, you know, that are going in the Belmont. So for Adagun, I checked that he's got a dished face, a star up above the cowlick, particular white legs, and then this morning I found out they all have their name saddle claws. <laughs> oh, it made things a whole lot easier, didn't it? It sure did, but just in case, I check every night ahead of time, you know, check the weather, obviously, get the gear ready, and then you hope for luck as well. 
Well, speaking of luck, it's right place, right time. I led the show with the fact that I'll have another avoided a collision with a loose horse, and who's there but Barbara D. Livingston? <laughs> well, it was a, it, I was a little far away from it, but it was pretty interesting that I'd seen all have another jog by a little while before, and uh, the loose horse, you know, came by me. So I definitely had to reposition myself pretty quickly. But you know, and then that's just the connect the dot thing where you go, well, that loose horse has to be going somewhere. And I was just lucky enough and amazed there were quite a few photographers out, but I guess other people just hadn't had as much iced tea that morning. Yeah, you got to have the reflexes. There's no <laughs> doubt about that in this sport. Anything can happen at any time, and you're, you're, you're just fantastic. Um, God, this is going to be an hour-long interview. All right, let's go briefly to uh, you also have evolved in, into that uh, writing part of it, and you, you could just really feel your, your heart and soul. Uh, what inspired you to do uh, Old Friends? As a matter of fact, it, it was a book I bought for, for a friend of mine shortly before he passed away and because he was an old friend, and, and it just captured, I think, your love and the essence of these great champions. Uh, John, bless your heart. Yeah, I actually started photographing old horses when I was, what, 17 or 16, and I saw Nashua, and he was 25, and he still, the groom was Clem Brooks, and he still had to hold him and shake the shank, and the horse would still try to bite at him, and I found it fascinating that such an old horse would still have such spirit. And it also took me back to the 50s, which I wasn't born in the 50s, but you'd seen all the black and white photos. And there was just something so magical about their connection and this magical old horse that I found it fascinating from then on. And so I had some pictures in the Blood Horse. They did some pensioners pieces for me. One was uh, Raja Baba. And at the time, I think he was 32. And from that, I noticed people were really interested. And so I thought that would be a great idea for a book and, and approached the Blood Horse, and they agreed. Well, it was so good that you had to do part two. It was... <laughs> It was so amazing. Surprisingly, old horses just keep reinventing themselves, and there are new ones each year. Well, all I can say is, and, and I'm going to tout you more than I tout my favorite racehorse, I'm going to tell the, the listeners that they've got to take a look at some of your books. I'm sure they're available uh, through Amazon or, or different places. Uh, uh, what, what, what's the best place to go to Eclipse Press? Well, interestingly, old friends went out of print pretty quickly. They went back to press with it a time or two. But for a while, it was selling for $800, and I couldn't even get any. But, but now I think it's settled in at around maybe you know, between 50 and $100. And at $50, I'd buy it if I were you. <laughs> but I don't get any of the money anymore. But the other ones, Eclipse Press, um, three of the ones are still in print. And so that's the best way to get them, definitely. All right, let's fast forward to 2009. How did you manage to find all these farms with these unbelievably horses of a different color? Well, you know, John, you also, you're, you're a fantastic photographer, and you might also have some negative things that have come from the digital age, but one of the positive things from it is being able to go online and actually find horse color forums. There are people that actually study, study inquiring, you know, color and different patterns, and so I went on there and started trying to find these horses around the country that were as unusual as I could find, like brindles, like greyhound dogs. I didn't even know they had brindle horses, but they do. There may be a dozen of them in the country, maybe. And so I just started reaching out to these people and going around the country to find them. It was, just, it was, like, it was like the world's biggest paintbrush. Well, you, you just did it. I can't imagine uh, between 
the, the miles that, that you've put on over your life. I don't know how many cars you've run through, <laughs> all, the, all the different places you, you, you've had to go. Now, now you, we talked a little bit about old friends and your ability to find different things, and you reflected a little bit about you know, going back. You are, too, uh, a collector of old photos. You, you have quite mm-hmm. a respect for the history of this game, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I, I, and I don't know where it comes from. You know, by the time I was ten or twelve, probably like a lot of girls, I, I'm sure some young men too. You look in the old books and you see the black and white pictures of Man of War or Nashua, or even before those times, like remarkably pictures of Lexington when he was blind with the white eyes. And there was something about them. The way that history was captured forever was absolutely just. The, a real magnet to me, and I've never gotten over it. I can still get goosebumps with a good man of war picture. And and I decided at that point that if I could collect some, I would. So I sought out the man who took the last photograph of man of war alive, and his name was James Sames. And I purchased his whole collection before he passed. You know, pictures of Citation. Um, they're just all sorts of Twilight Tear, just some amazing names. And then I try to share them on occasion in the blogs through the racing forum whenever I have time. So other people can learn about these horses or just see them in a light they hadn't seen before. For someone like you, that must have been like opening up a rare treasure chest. (laughs) It was unbelievable. To go to his house, I called him, cold called him on the phone, and he was at the point in his life where he wanted to do something with his collection, but he didn't have any children. And so when he was talking with me, he said someone had offered him a particular amount for the last picture ever. And I told him, I, said, I thought that was way too low and he should charge more. And he said, well, if you gave me this amount, I'd sell them to you. And so I ended up paying him more than he'd asked because I thought he was asking too little. And, you know, and we wrote out a contract and did all the work. And, and yeah, the whole drive home, I remember the drive home, there was a big thunderstorm and it was um, 14 or 15 hours back to Saratoga. And I kept thinking I'd get swept away in a tornado because it couldn't be real. It was so exciting. <laughs> Oh, that is, that is fantastic, and and I can appreciate it because I collect them at flea markets. It doesn't even have to be a famous horse or anything. Mm-hmm. I just love looking that, at the fashions that people wear and, uh, the, you know, the whole uh, uh, just atmosphere that the sport was, was held in at a time gone by. Absolutely. It is that absolute picture-a-thousand-word thing that I can read all the articles in the world, and they're not going to let me see that scene the same way as an actual photo will. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It doesn't have to be a famous horse, a famous track, just anything that captures a scene. Well, your your love of the game uh, comes across in, in in your photos, and I, I love when when the form, particularly when it's usually surrounding uh, some of the bigger race dates, the Derby, the Breeders' Cup, uh, gives you a whole photo montage uh, <laughs> in the daily racing form. Uh, just uh, tell me what's what's a day in the life of Barbara Livingston. <laughs> I guess it depends on whether or not I'm at a track at the time, and you know I'm I'm probably at tracks, maybe a hundred to a hundred and no, probably maybe a hundred and fifty days a year, quite a few, and those are the days that I hate getting up really early. But even Churchill has artificial spotlights now, which is really rude because now I have to get up, and so you know I get up, <laughs> shoot the morning workouts. You know I plan the night before, shoot the morning workouts, go and edit until mid afternoon, go back to the track to make sure I'm not missing anything go back to the room around 5 or 6. If there's stakes races, you know, I stay later, and then edit the rest, and then go to bed after studying the next morning and, and go to sleep. Oh, and I also, as you know, you have to get your uh, digital files named and put into particular places, which are hard drives, different brains, computer brains, just in case your computer decides to never wake up the next day. 
Right. <laughs> it's sort of a question of you know chronicling all that in several places to protect it before you go to sleep and can lose it, and you learn that the hard way. And and then you go at it the next day again and hope that you're lucky and hope it doesn't you know pour rain too hard. Well, you know, uh, you know, I think when when hard work and opportunity meet each other, uh, that's when that's when you get lucky. You know, uh, as much as I respect you as a photographer, perhaps the most respected turf writer of all time. Uh, once wrote a comment about you, and I want to read this right now as I close out this part of the interview, that racing is a colorful enterprise that lends itself to photography, but few have the sensitivity and skill to capture mood and feeling with camera the way the great artists do in oil and bronze. Barbara Livingston does. Could there be a better compliment? Mr. Joe Hirsch, they don't get better than that, do they? It sure doesn't, and I'll tell you what, uh, from what I see in the modern era, photographers don't get any better than Barbara D. Livingston. Thanks so much for uh, spending time with us uh, on winningponies.com, and I do, do urge all of our listeners to seek out your work and and these fine books that you've produced, and I'm sure there's probably one in the workings at the moment. (laughs) There's always something in this brain. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot. Hey, best of luck at the Belmont. Thank you so much, and what an honor speaking with you. Take care. All right. Barbara Livingston, ladies and gentlemen, again, uh, one of the most, she could be the Ansel Adams of equine photography. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to switch uh, from uh, the art of photography uh, to the art of producing videos for what is a magazine. That's right. Uh, Tom Law, an Eclipse Award winner, is putting a new spin on the Thoroughbred Times. Of course, everybody's entering the modern era. They're, they're moving to web. But, you know, you don't like things to be too static. And uh, Tom and some friends have come up with some good ideas to really jazz up uh, the website of the Thoroughbred Times. And then I'm going to tap into him for his handicapping skills. So hold on. we got more to come on Winning Ponies. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Fantasy Sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play Fantasy Sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and coming up with me is going to be Tom Law. And if you, if you rewind the history of my hosting this show, uh, one of my very first guests was Tom Law because I knew that he'd be a good guest and make me look halfway decent. Uh, Tom uh, is from Saratoga Springs, uh, where, of course, Barbara Livingston has caught so many great images. Uh, for six years, he stayed at the helm of the National Turf Riders. They finally gave him a little bit of a break, and he's stepping down a little bit, and he's only going to be a, a vice president. Uh, he is, is an Eclipse Award winner, a co-producer of the multimedia program On the Scene. Uh, he's with the Thoroughbred Times. Of course, he won uh, the, the best Kentucky Derby Writing Award you can win, the Red Smith Award. Uh, he's uh, very, extremely well-rounded, not only as a writer, but now he's, he's entering into a new realm that, that I had a chance to see firsthand most recently. And if you go to the Thoroughbred Times website, you'll get a chance to see it. It's a new series called It's My Job. Tom Long, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, John. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I love talking to Barbara. Uh, she she is just something else. She is just so exuberant and has such a respect for the sport. And uh, I, I just uh, appreciate having her on the show, as I do you, my friend. Yeah. Well, the industry is uh, industry is very fortunate to have uh, somebody like her, for sure. She's uh, she does a great job and, and always very professional. And like I said, the industry is has a great asset with her, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I would have to say that the same about you, but people think I'm polishing your apple just to be on the show. But as I told everybody, I got a chance to, to, to see you within the last uh, two weeks, and it uh, wasn't because you were actually writing a story. Uh, it's because you were kind of uh, taking care of a new uh, element, I shall say, to the Thoroughbred Times. And it, it, uh, it's an element that helped win uh, you and uh, Greg uh, Charkunian an Eclipse Award last year uh, for Multimedia and Internet Awards. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a new segment called It's My Job. Tell our listeners what they're going to see when, when, they, when they tune into your site. Sure. If you, uh, yeah, on our site, it's a, it's a new series, like you said, that we launched. We launched the, the first episode, right, just prior to the Kentucky Derby, and we kind of wanted to just give the viewers a up-close and behind-the-scenes look at the thoroughbred industry. Obviously, we, we write about the thoroughbred industry all the time, and, you know, of course, you hear, you hear shows on the radio, you see stuff on TV, and you, you see the, the, a lot of the same stuff, but you don't really see what goes into a day at the races or a day in the life uh, at a farm or a day in the life at the racetrack, at the front side, at the back side. So we, we said we really wanted to, to offer something Unique, something that nobody's really done before, at least not in, in, in thoroughbred racing. And, you know, we kind of pinpointed, we, we thought to ourselves, there, there's like hundreds of jobs in the thoroughbred industry. Let's, uh, let's go behind the scenes and, and sort of mic somebody up for the day and just follow them around, just kind of be a shadow, you know. And our first episode focused with an exercise rider who worked for uh, Charlie Lopresti down here in Lexington at Basic Keeneland. Uh, his name was Damian Rock, and he, he was a, from Ireland originally, and he had ridden in races over in Ireland as an apprentice, came to the U.S. And, and rode for some prominent trainers in New York, 
and it kind of gravitated to Kentucky, and he just worked as an exercise rider full full time. So we went out, and you know, it was a cold morning out of Keeneland, and we 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 followed him from the track, you know, going getting on horses. He was getting on lots of you know successful Dan, wise Dan, really actually really good horses. It was it was fortunate that we we picked him. We got some help from uh, Leanne Crossley, who who was a real asset for us. Um, and we did that. And we just. Of course, Greg does, you know, Greg does all the work. I kind of get the co-producer at Clips Award. <laughs> I, I get to share in his handiwork. I mean, he, he does a great job in editing. Oh, he's excellent. Down. So, I mean, he, he edited, you know, he probably, he went out and shot two days with Damien. Uh, and, you know, he edit, edits it down to about a 15-minute episode, with, you know, which is kind of a long video for the Internet. You know, with, in today's day and age, you know, YouTube and things are, you know, people are, are watching videos maybe one, two, five minutes at the most. Uh, but what we found is uh, we put together a compelling enough package um, that that people are watching it. And of course, we can we can uh, do a lot of Google Analytics. It's called where you can you can determine how long people are watching every video. You know what their duration is. So and we're we're seeing that a lot of people are watching the stuff. And of course, like you said, uh, you got to see it first, second, uh, our second episode, which we we have the trailer. Uh, we, we do a trailer before the actual episode launches, kind of build a little bit of buzz, was uh, on your guys' track announcer up there at River Downs, Pete Aiello. And, uh, you know, Pete was was a great uh, subject for us and, and you know, just a, a, a real uh, fun-loving, real passionate guy about racing, and he does a great job. And, uh, you know, uh, we, had, we had a great a great day up there at River, and I know that uh, Greg went up to get some more uh, scenic stuff uh, last weekend, and you know we're really looking forward to episode two coming out next week. Yeah, I had a fantastic time with Greg. You know, he was a neophyte. I shouldn't say as far as coming up to our track, and he was right. just floored by how pretty it was. And as a videographer, uh, he was like a kid in a candy store. You know, he ran around and got every single angle he could possibly get of the place. I mean, so you, you look at the purse structure at some of these smaller tracks and you go, gee, what's this place going to be like? But if management really cares about the place, and, and we are blessed to be right there on the Ohio River with the hills of Kentucky behind us, and uh, we've got great mm-hmm. landscapers, and uh, all the jockeys, you know, we're happy to you know do anything we asked them to do. Uh, sure. I, I, I just can't imagine, though, because I know that he shot seven hours of video the first time he came and shot about three and a half hours on Monday. Uh, Mm -hmm. He has really got a task in editing that down to like a 15 minute piece. He does. And we've been, we've been, uh, you know, he sits in his office and he he goes through it all day and, uh, you know, it probably takes him a good, a good solid work week uh, to edit the stuff down. And then of course he blends it in with some actual interviews that we did, you know, we, we sat down with Pete and, and, and talked to him like three or four different times during the day just about what his job is and, and you know, uh, what do you do? How do you start your day? What do you do when this happens? What happens if, you know, what happens if X, Y, Z happens? What do you, and then it, kind of at the end of the day, we talked to him about what his thoughts are about racing and how he got involved in racing and what do you think about the future of racing and everything. So Greg blends all that with the scenic footage, with the fo- actual footage of, of Pete actually doing his job, which is calling the races, and then he blends in some of the actual race video, which you guys were kind enough to send us from River. We appreciate that. And then he blends it all together, and, you know, of course, we've got to merge it in and try to make it fit so it shows you a day in the life of a track announcer there at River Downs in, you know, 12 to 15, maybe a little bit longer than that this time. Well, I, I think it's kind of neat, too, that you, you selected people like Damien and Pete, um, and, and, and I would really encourage you to, to continue to 
maybe not always hit the highlights, you know. We, right. We've seen so many interviews with so many of the stars of the sport, and there's so many hard-working people behind the scenes, and, and the great job that I see you guys can do with it, I, I really encourage you to continue to go in that direction. Yeah, that, that's really a, the direction we want to go, and uh, and that's why we did it, you know. We figure a lot of the marquee names in the in the sport. A lot of people really know, people know them, and they kind of know what they do. And they really have their outlet with uh, NBC and and uh, you know the big networks, HRTV, TVG. Of course, have these guys on all the time. But uh, we, we wanted to give it an opportunity for people that, like you said, that you don't often hear from, that are really the backbone of the industry. That you know, people that just work hard day in and day out. You know, and 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 really don't get to be singled out, and, and we've gotten really great feedback from the first episode that we did, I think, from people that also work in the industry, and, you know, they basically said the same thing like you said. They said, we really appreciate you guys doing that and, and sort of promoting the, the people that are, you know, putting their blood, sweat, and tears into the game and often, you know, not getting a lot of recognition for it usually. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and it's, it's something that um, through my years of uh, – you know, being able to promote the sport and, and to write for d- different magazines uh, that I've always enjoyed uh, to to tell somebody about a minor league trainer or you know a minor league jockey uh, and, and to bring forth that these guys put out as much effort as as everybody else. They're just doing it on a different level. A classic example is this: our leading rider Perry Utes. He he's. Uh, going to, I guarantee you, eclipse Jerry Bailey in the next couple of weeks and become the 16th leading rider in the history of the sport. Uh, when I look at their stats, it's Jerry Bailey, and I'm, this isn't exact, but I'll say final earnings, $246 million. Perry Utes, $24 million. Yeah. Now, you can't tell me either guy didn't work harder than the other. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and to be able to bring the spotlight on on people that, that work just as hard as the guys that are at the big tracks, I, I think is, is a wonderful thing, and I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, and we hope that, you know, we hope that maybe a guy like Damian Rock, you know, represents, you know, uh, all exercise riders. I'm not saying he's like every exercise rider, but, you know, maybe he's sort of their representative for the month, you know, the month we happen to have this episode, or, or Pete maybe will represent the track announcers for the, you know, the, the little tracks, maybe not necessarily the Trevor Denmans and the Tom Durkins, but, you know, uh, the guys that uh, really love the game and, and have great skill and, and they really, you know, work hard to perfect their craft, for sure. And, and, they're, and they're very rare jobs. And if I may, not to tell you to do your job, one of, the, one of the jobs that I think most people don't even know happens at a track that I think is one of the most important jobs that totally goes unnoticed is that of the assistant starters. So put that mm-hmm. on your list of things to do because I think people would be very intrigued to see what goes into the day of life. You know, people don't realize that these guys are schooling horses, you know, at early morning hours and then working the whole afternoon inside a metal cage with a 1,200-pound animal. Yeah, I, you know, that's on our list. And uh, I do, I've, I've, you know, Sean Clancy, who's a friend of mine, he did a really good piece, uh, I think, in the Mid-Atlantic Thoroughbred several years ago. And he kind of followed the guys around for like a day, like a ball. Well, and it was a really great piece, but like the whole reason why we kind of did this is like you know the the written word is great, and I love the written word, and I'm, I'll always be a writer at heart. But you know when you can put something visually in front of people and kind of tell the story that way, you know I think it just it just adds a little bit of uh, specialness to it, um, for lack of a better word. 
Yeah, and I agree. I, I still like having the ink of the Thoroughbred Times and the Daily Racing form on my fingers. But then again, we have to understand the reality of how our entire life is moving forward. And younger people love the visuals. And they love mm-hmm. being able to click on something along the lines of YouTube. And if you can deliver that to them on your site, it may very well spark an interest in racing uh, to, to the next generation. That's right, and that's, and that's really how we came up with the whole uh, on-the-scene idea, which is basically on-the-scene is just really like uh, covering the race. Like I would, I would cover the races uh, when I was a reporter on the beat. You know, we would go, we're doing interviews with people, and then we put the interviews as part of our scene. We do like a little scene setter, which is, uh, you know, I'll talk about the day's events. We kind of give a wrap-up of the news. We do some one-on-one interviews where we kind of get a little more personal with the participant. And Greg goes out and shoots a lot of video of the horses training. And really, we put that whole package together. It's really not much different than, you know, if we did, say, five or six stories per day and put them either in our print publication or on our website. All right. Well, it's the way of the world. Well, here's what I'd like to do, Tom, if you'll play ball with me. I know that I sent you four races to handicap. Uh, Unlike last week when I had a lot of deep fields, these are kind of some short fields. I want to get through four races. Um, And and then what I want to do is hopefully we'll have enough time left over to get your read on this year's Belmont Stakes. How's that sound? Sure. Sounds great. All right. Well, let's start out with a rare distance uh, and a rare race, the vagrancy at Belmont Park. Six and a half furlongs, something they don't run every day, uh, particularly for $200,000. It looks to me like uh, Mr. Dutrow has a strong duo in here. I'd like to get your read on the race. Yeah, he does smart, you know, of course, smart stride and CC's pal. I was looking at CC's pal. Uh, these are two horses that, you know, have run, you know, no strangers to New York. Obviously, uh, smart stride was a really short price last time. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't really like her last race. I, I, I would favor the other half of the entry, uh, in here. She's got to win at Belmont. Uh, you got to go way back in her form to find that win, but, but I do like her. I actually looked like a, uh, a little bit of a price in here at uh, the four horse Kid Kate uh, trainer Chad Brown. This, this, she hasn't been out since October 23rd, but uh, Chad is, is very very good with horses off the layoff. Of course, he worked for Bobby Frankel for a long time, so I'm sure he he learned a lot uh, there. And and I, I like Kid Kate. She's uh, you know five for six in the money there at Belmont, and it's a you know it's a pretty competitive group. I mean, there's only uh, seven horses in here, so maybe maybe we'll catch a price on her. I know, like I said, we're, we're, we're capping short fields, so I'm going to kind of sure. bullet, bullet through it. Um, yes. Now we're going to go from one coast to the other. Uh, let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's go to Hollywood Park, the Californian. Uh, the question here is, is this a rematch of the Mervyn Leroy uh, between a very fast uh, morning line and prayer for relief, or does Game On Dude dominate or have no. a Dubai bounce? Yeah, this is uh it's an inter- interesting spot for a game on dude to come back. Um you actually got the first, like you said, a rematch of the uh, Mervyn Leroy, you got the first three finishers coming back. Uh I I really like the prayer for release race in there when they added blinkers. Um the last time he, he really jumped up and ran really well. He he likes Hollywood, he likes the syn- he likes a synthetic track. Um that was two for four at Hollywood with a couple seconds. Uh, you know, a morning lion ran huge. I, he was a horse that was a, a real good dirt horse. Uh, on the East Coast for Nick Vito for a long time. But, you know, like you said, it's a short field, and it's a short field because uh, Game on Dude is in here. And, um, you know, I think Game on Dude is going to take some beating in here. He's going to be, you know, 
Baffert is on just an incredible roll uh, with horses, all the shipping horses all over the country. And, of course, he doesn't have to ship this one at all, just maybe from his barn at Santa Anita over there to Hollywood. And I do think I do think he'll be pretty tough in here. His race in Dubai was a real sort of a puzzler. I thought he would have run a lot better than that. But at the same time, I, I thought they probably should have just kept him in California and won the big cap and then maybe target some other races in the, in the in the summer and fall, and they could really have a good legitimate horse of the year uh, stake their claim at him. But I, I, I'm going to pick Game On Dude in here. Uh, you know, he's probably going to be a short price in a five-horse field. Yeah, well, pretty much all the American horses that that went over to Dubai uh, were, were pretty much kind of like a fart in church. They just didn't go yeah. over real good. I know. It's, it's, it was a bad year for sure. Um, now, what, what do you say we go a little, little bit closer to home? We'll do, we'll do back-to-back races uh, at, at Churchill Downs, mm-hmm. starting out with, and correct me on this name because I've heard people pronounce it uh, different ways. Is it the yeah. Aristides or the Aristides? I, I pronounce it Aristides, but, of course, you and I are both uh, upstate New Yorkers, so maybe that has something to do with <laughs> the, the reason why we say it that way. So, But we'll, we'll stick with Aristides. Um you know, if somebody can call in and maybe uh, that that saw Aristides run, maybe when he won the first Kentucky Derby. I'm sure then, Mary uh, Jean Wall could correct us. Yeah, they could. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I'll let you deal with her. <laughs> All right. Well, an interesting race. Uh, I will yeah. say, the, the and, and I want to hear your picks, but the, the horse that I keep going back to is Noble's Promise. I remember this horse winning uh, as a very young horse. Uh, you know, he's, he's collected over a million dollars, but he's kind of been, I think, a mystery to Kenny McPeak, um, running kind of a different distances, different services, uh, but he's definitely a horse with talent. Uh, was didn't Ended up on a muddy sealed track last time, uh, only his uh, third start of the season. Uh, race before that, uh, ran against uh, the very powerful, successful Dan. Um, I'm kind of liking this horse in here, and hey, Corey Landry's on a roll at Churchill. He is. Corey Landry is on a roll. I saw him win, or, win another race today. Uh, Might have even won more than that. Um, his his race two back is is a really strong race because successful Dan of course needs no introduction really he's really one of the top older horses in the country in my opinion and then I think like you said he caught the muddy track I think you can just throw that race out he's never uh, never you know I don't know he, he never particularly ran that well on a on a wet track although he, he did finish fifth in the Kentucky Derby he looked way down his form um, you know way back in 2010. Uh, he won this race last year, and, you know, they really kind of were pointing for maybe a, another spot, but then when they saw that it maybe didn't come up that strong, they decided to run. So, you know, I like him in here. He, he runs well at Churchill. He, he's got a couple wins over the track, you know, including uh, one race that was on the uh, Breeders' Cup undercard back then, back there in 2010, uh, going the shorter uh, six furlong distance. I'll tell you what, let's, let's move right now to, to the race that everybody's thinking about and talking about, and, and, and that's the sure. Belmont Stakes. You got it. You, uh, got it. you know, it, it, it's fantastic for racing. I mean, it's great for me as a PR guy at a racetrack, uh, the fact that we're, we're going into a, a potential historic moment. Uh, do you think this horse has the chutzpah and is in the right place in the right time to get it done, Tom? Well, uh, there's, you know, a big question to me about him is how much the Preakness took out of him. Uh, he, he really had to uh, dig pretty deep to, to get to Bodemeister uh, 
in the in deep stretch, you know, to get by him to win. And of course, uh, it was a, it was that was a superior race in my opinion. When you look back, that it was Creative Cause was about eight or nine lengths back in third, and he's a good horse. So I do think that that was a pretty strong race, uh, even an even stronger race than his Derby. Uh, however, lined up against the competition that I think he's going to face in the Belmont, I think he can still probably regress a little bit. And he doesn't have to run as good as he's running the first two to probably get the job done, unless a horse like Dulahan or Union Rags, who, you know, pretty much are his primary competition now, is Alpha's out of the race um, as of this morning. I, I do think that those two horses, you know, they're, they're pretty uh, formidable foes. I mean, Union Rags is the kind of horse that he's in trouble, he's in trouble, he's in trouble all the time. Everybody's waiting for him to not be in trouble. Well, Belmont Park is maybe the place for a horse to avoid trouble. Um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes horses just get in trouble because they're not good enough to get out of trouble. I heard, uh, I heard Alan Jerkins say that today. Or, uh, I watched a little video with Alan Jerkins today, and he said that. And, of course, the more I think about it, the more it really is true. Um, but, of course, you know, Union Rags, he's got a win there at Belmont. He won the Champagne there last year. So that, that's uh, a big feather in his cap. So... Uh, but, you know, I'm going to pick, I'll have another, uh, when all is said and done. I've actually seen some video of him. He, he still looks really good. I mean, he was a really good-looking horse all Derby Week and uh, just stood out. And, of course, I, I didn't pick him in there because he was in post-19, and I'd never heard of his jockey. And, you know, I just didn't, I guess I discounted the California horses a little more than I should have. But, um, you know, I, I do think, like I said, if he if he maybe regresses a little bit, I do still think he can get the job done. You know, I think it's going to be, it's, it's been exciting these last uh, two weeks. Of course, everybody, a lot of people are asking me about it, people that aren't really necessarily in the racing industry. So that's always good when you have a horse going for the Triple Crown. I, I do think no matter what, you know, he'll, he'll probably be in front at some point uh, next Saturday, which, of course, again, is also very exciting. It, it gets awfully loud there at Belmont when they have a big crowd when something like that happens. But hopefully, uh, you know, we won't have another situation where... <laughs> Uh, the Triple Crown kind of the air comes out of the balloon and the place is uh, sort of like a morgue. Yeah, it gets empty uh, real fast. Used. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been listening with Tom Law from the Thoroughbred Times. Tom, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. I appreciate you, your, your insights into the game. And, uh, you know, I commend you for all the hard work you've done. And all of us at Winning Ponies are happy to have you on the show. Thank you, John. Uh, it was a pleasure. And anytime you need me, I'll be here for you. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that just uh, closes out another great edition with uh, uh, Barbara D. Livingston, the photographer, uh, Tom Law, the uh, writer, editor, and uh, now uh, he's doing some videos. But uh, anyhow, uh, again, tell your friends if they didn't uh, get to listen that they need to tune in, and don't you forget to keep tuning in to Winning Ponies and getting those great products that are going to put you in the winner's circle. From high atop the grandstand overlooking the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember... Bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.